This program brought to you by PersonalLifeMedia.com is suitable for mature audiences only and may contain explicit sexual information. This interview was recorded on June 3rd, 2008 at the San Francisco Wante Center. Welcome to A Taste of Sex, guest speaker interviews, coming to you from the One Taste Urban Retreat Center in San Francisco. For those of you new to the show, One Taste is an organization committed to developing awareness in all of those areas of our being where we've shut down. We offer workshops and practices designed to bring more connection to your life. And every Tuesday night, we bring in a guest educator to share their perspectives in a fun and interactive way. You can join us live at 1074 Folsom Street in the South of Market neighborhood of San Francisco. Welcome to A Taste of Sex. My name is Shane Metcalf, and tonight my guest is Isadora Allman. Isadora is a sex therapist, relationship counselor, communicator, lecturer, workshop leader, and published author. First of all, have some way of communicating with yourself, you know, whether you keep a journal, whether you meditate, whether you, um, whatever it is, really find a way to listen to what's going on inside yourself and acknowledge it. Therapy might help, uh, group dynamics like One Taste Offers might help, but some way to get in touch with who are you and what do you want. Um, and that might be going on the internet and looking for some support, support, doing some research into other people. But that's the first step, is really finding a way to hear yourself, sense what's going on with you, and then um, accepting it. Welcome to the show, Isadora. Thank you, Shane. So Isadora, would you please just give us a little background about how you actually got involved in sex education? How did I get so lucky, you mean? <laughs> how did you get so lucky? The best job on the planet. Um, I, my undergraduate degrees were in psychology and communication. I, uh, through a long circuitous route, I was working as a real estate agent and looking to do some sort of volunteer work that I would find more engaging. And I took the training for San Francisco Sex Information, which is a, um, an online free helpline in San Francisco. And it's still around, by the way. This was 1979 that I did this. And I was just entranced with it. I was so much happier dealing with people's sex lives than their financial lives, <laughs> much more interesting than real estate. And so I stayed with them, got on their board of directors, got on their training staff, and decided that I really needed to get into this full-time, and so I got my uh, license to be a marriage and family therapist in California. And what was the, the state and the curriculum that you were learning in 1979 about sex education? It, they gave the best education that I know of to this day, even for graduate schools. It was maybe 60 hours over a period of mm, six weeks or so, uh, focusing on what do people do and how do you feel about it and how can you get comfortable talking about it and boy that's still the basis it's still the basis of what i do as a psychotherapist is what the basis i do of, as a writer you know what is it that concerns you let's put it out look at it and let's talk about it in a way that will increase your comfort level you've been involved in this work for over About 25, 25 years. years yeah and have you seen it 
have you seen added have you seen the content change much i mean you were saying that it well, the, really comes down to some of the basics, but have you seen Well, the content change? in some areas has changed. I mean, when I was first starting out as a sex educator, AIDS didn't exist. You know, I was of age in the, the in the 70s when when free love and free sex and free connecting didn't have very many penalties. You know, it was very different age in the 70s than it was in the 80s. Um, but what hasn't changed, for instance, is the birth control method that I used at 18 has not been improved upon in all these years. So some things just stay the same and some things do move along. Do you think that the culture around sexuality is a healthier, more open one than it was in 25 years ago? Or do you think that we Yes regressed? and no. Yes and no. And I mean, that's another one of those mixed things. We still don't have a whole lot of alternatives that are acceptable to heterosexual monogamy. Although, you know, we've, California has just, has just uh, endorsed same-sex marriage. Um, but that's still the norm. Uh, the norm still is, uh, for what's sexy, is still young, white, thin, you know, sparkly-toothed, glossy-haired, and while there are magazines with fat women in them, for instance, or devotees of ankles and so forth, we still have the same commercial norm of beauty, which is very narrow, that you see on Cosmo or GQ covers. Do you see any indicators of this changing in mainstream media? It's moving along. It's moving along. We get a, a hit program like uh, Ugly Betty, for instance, and we get, um, I don't know what it's called, but some of the glamorous models who are still uh, ridiculously thin marrying really homely, skinny guys <laughs> who have talent. You know, they're not married, looking for Aristotle and Nassus. So talent, to me, at least, is a move in the right direction as something sexy rather than money. So what do you see the role of, that the role you play in helping people have a better better understanding of their own sexuality and a, and a better sex life in general? I think what I do basically, Shane, particularly in my column and on my website, is that I let people know that they are not what I call a sexual unicorn, meaning that what they fantasize, what they think about, what they desire, what they actually do, there are going to be other people who think about that, fantasize, and do it, that there are everybody, there are, is of, has somebody else that does what they do or wants to do what they do and that everything that feels comfortable to the human being is somewhere on the range of normal. What motivates you? What, what's the inner drive to do this work? I, I'm, really, I'm really passionate about, about seeing that people have information to make good choices. There, the choices have been so limited for so long in general. When I was growing up, a young girl uh, could aspire to being married with children or not yet. I mean, that was it. Not having children was certainly not a, a viable choice. Not getting married was not a viable choice. Being other than heterosexual and monogamous was not a viable choice. And the fact is, all these narrow commercial norms, I feel, leave out the majority of, of people and their, their, their wants and their needs. Um, I, I wished somebody was around like me when I was growing up and, and getting into this whole sexual stuff. What's the favorite thing, the most gratifying part of the work that you do? Hearing people tell, come back to me 
saying, I heard your radio show in the 80s, and it really made a difference in in how I thought about sex, or I've been reading your column for 15 years, and I never knew that it was okay to do X or Y. Uh, For me to hear from people that I've helped them accept their own sexuality is enormously gratifying. One of the things that we explore here at One Taste is how does our sexual psychograph, you know, our sexual psychological health affect the other areas of our life? And have you seen, have you seen this dynamic in, in the clients that you work with? Well, I, one, of the, one of the quotes that I heard early on was that sex is like, is like air. If, you're, if the quality of it is, is minimally acceptable to survive, then it's generally not a big deal. But if you suddenly can't get any or what you're getting is making you ill, it becomes a really big deal. So that's true of one's whole life. You know, if your work is minimally satisfying and your health is minimally satisfying, then you can pay attention to your sex and relationships. But if, <laughs> but if they're really awful, <laughs> they're going to pervade every other aspect of your life. Yeah. I just heard heard somebody say that fear of sex is destroying the planet, and I laughed <laughs> when I heard that because I th- there's this I have like a hunch in my mind that there are that sexuality and sustainability are are linked together in some way, but I still really don't know what the answer is to that. Does that do well, you have any do you have any leads for me? Well, I, this is sort of tangential, but it. <laughs> I remember during one of the huge political crises of the 70s or 80s, hearing somebody talking about those powerful men who had their finger on the red button, you know, that could cause nuclear war and destroy us all. Were they talking about the clitoris? Or no, no, no. <laughs> they were talking about the button that would that would set off missiles. And somebody said, boy, I hope, I don't remember who was president or who was in, in charge of Russia in those days. I sure hope he got a good blowjob last night. And, and sort of that was it. You know, people who are satisfied in their sexuality are not going to go out there and blow up the world. How satisfied do you think that our culture is sexually? The culture is crazy-making. American culture is absolutely crazy-making. You cannot grow up sexually healthy in our society the way it is. And I would say the majority of people in it uh, are a little bit crazy in some area or another because they grew up in it. Uh, Some of us, through growth work of various kinds, manage to be relatively sexually healthy and manage to do more good than harm in our personal relationships. But in general, no, we're in a, we're a really sick society around sexuality. What do you do to have your own sexual fulfillment and your own growth? Um, I try to be an honest person who lives life with integrity. I try to be a, a vivacious, a juicy, sexy woman. Um, I flirt a lot. It gives me great pleasure <laughs> to flirt with I think, other people. I think people who flirt a lot probably live longer. I think so, too. All the dopamine in the brain. <laughs> yes. And the, the compliments that go along with flirting, the, the essential, you know, I see you as attractive, I notice, feels very good, as is the compliment one pays to oneself as one flirts. You know, I know I'm attractive, and I feel good about that. So that's part of how I keep my health. I flirt. Do you have any other sex? practices that are in the sexual world, in the, se- in the sexual domain of your personal life? In my personal life, I'm a woman of a certain age at this point, and um, now there's a name for my predilections. It's called a cougar. It never was before, and uh, partners are few and far between for me. 
Well, thank you so much, Isadora. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Isadora. Listen to A Taste of Sex, erotic poetry reading, a companion program to life in an orgasm-based community. It's open mic night at One Taste San Francisco, a weekly audio program on personallifemedia.com. Welcome back to A Taste of Sex. My name is Shane Metcalf. And we're here with Isadora Allman. So, Isadora, can you tell me a little bit about the sex therapy work that you do? Well, I say that I do short-term, solution-focused therapy. And what I do really for most people is not long-term, you know, let's go back to your potty training or so forth, but really what's hurting and what, how can we make it better? For many people, it's they don't have a relationship and they would like one. So how do you, how do you find a partner or partners for many people they have a relationship and they're hurting <laughs> so it's how do you make it better or how do you negotiate it into something different so that it'll fit you better or how do you get out of it with the least amount of damage it reminds me of some of my friends when they're looking for a job and they're, they're obsessed with finding a job and the next thing you know they have a job and they're like god i, I have to go to work you know <laughs> So it's like we, we're, yes. so, we're so hungry for a relationship and then we actually get one and then all we can think of is getting out of it. <laughs> well, I, I have for the last year or so have been writing for a website called tbd.com, which is a, a, a social networking discussion group. So I'm getting a lot more input from people over 40 because that's what it's focused on than I have uh, in my column, which almost always, since it's an alternative paper, is for people generally on the younger side. And I'm finding people, so how many people are in really miserable marriages? You'd think I'd know that after being a marriage counselor for so long. But I just can't imagine being as miserable as so many people seem to be and not doing anything about it. What do you think they can do? Uh, acknowledge it to themselves that there is something to be done. I mean, I think that's part of what I do as an educator. You know, if your wife no longer is willing to have sex with you and you're 45 years old and you're monogamous, does that mean that you have another 40 years to be celibate or is there something you can do? Well, yes, you can talk to your wife and say, we need therapy. Or you can say, let's have an open relationship. Or you can say, well, sexual intercourse isn't the be all end all. Let's, let's do some other sexy things that are increasing intimacy and bring us orgasms. But some people just don't know that. You know, they either you either have intercourse within a monogamous marriage or you don't have any sex. They don't know any other alternatives. And if your partner won't talk about it, then it isn't to be discussed. So you're creating more options. Sexually. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if, if somebody was to come to you, somebody that was in a marriage, and they were they were thinking about these other options, but they knew that there was a lot of resistance from the other partner. Mm -hmm. Do you work with the other partner? How does that how does I'll leave that, that up to them. I will lay, if, if you come to me as an individual and say, here's my situation, I will lay out the options. Generally, within a monogamous relationship, the options is you stay there and you suffer, you leave, or you try to do something to make it better. There aren't any other options. You know, and most people say, well, I, it's intolerable, so I can't stay here and suffer anymore, and I won't leave. Well, then, <laughs> the option is to see uh, what you can do to make it better, how you can talk about it, how you can get your partner to talk about it, how you can um, 
maybe introduce practices and discussions and things that haven't happened before. And if you would like, I'd be happy to see you with your partner or if your partner is willing to see your partner alone. And, and I'm really okay with however the person wants to do that. I don't have any strict ways that it has to be. Do you see people struggle a lot of revealing these parts of themselves, these desires that they have to the other partner in the relationship? Well, you know, if they hadn't come to see me, they wouldn't have been struggling already, uh, Shane. I mean, by the time they get to see me, are willing to spend the time and the money and the effort to find somebody like me who does what I do, uh, make the appointment, pay the money. You know, they've already had a long, hard struggle. Makes you kind of wonder how many people are out there who are suffering silently. Well, I see that on my work on the on the websites, my own website at askisadora.com and tbd.com. I see constantly how many people are out there silently suffering. The internet is a tool now where at least they can anonymously get some sort of um, support for their silent suffering. I recently heard that the internet, one of the first groups of people that it was really the most helpful for was gay teenager, teenagers because they mm -hmm. were in, in small towns, isolated, not in some of the more progressive metropolitan areas, but then they were finally able to actually connect with like-minded peers. It's not only gay teenagers, it's all those people whose sexuality doesn't fit the very narrow thing. Uh, early on in my, in my uh, practice, I saw a small town southern cross-dresser who was drinking himself to death until I connected him online with other cross-dressers and he found out he was not the only man who liked to wear women's clothing, that it was not the end of the world. He could st still live, you know, so anybody, whether they're gay, whether they're kinky, whether they're ugly, uh, you know, too short, too tall, too fat, have a pimple on their nose, to find that there are others like them and there are others who like them, <laughs> that's a big deal. It's amazing to discover that we're actually not alone. Absolutely. It's one of the things that we do here in our workshops at One Taste is we, if somebody's going through an experience of having, having a particularly strong emotion, often we'll ask, has anybody else in the room had this same experience? And this person looks around and everybody's hands, hands up. Hands are up. Isn't and that amazing? And you kind of see them <laughs> loosen up a bit and kind of come in and feel a little bit more included. I'm a real proponent of group therapy for the, that very reason, so that you can look into somebody else's eye and you see that they know. They really do get it. Your grief or your rage or your lust or your anger or your sorrow, you know, the deepest of your secrets and your feelings, that they're shared. What do you think that the role of some of those difficult emotions like jealousy and anger, are, what, what role do they play in a healthy relationship? I was going to say, they're there to crap it up, <laughs> to give you some challenges so that you feel as if you've conquered a mountain when you get through it. Jealousy is such a corrosive, corrosive feeling, even though it doesn't do anybody any good. Um, fear is so corrosive. You know, uh, There's so many of these things. So I think if, if there had to be a purpose for them, you know, like what's the purpose of mosquitoes? If there had to be a, a purpose for these miserable things, the purpose is so that you feel really good when you've gotten through it to the other side. How do you get through to the other side? Work. Real, a lot of personal growth work. Exam, talking with yourself, talking with those other in your, in your life. Um, you saw on the back of my flyer, I think I gave you one earlier, I have there, the, this is taken from the work of Virginia Satir, who was a pioneer in communication skills. And to me, it's an outline for, for a healthy person 
and a healthy relationship. Can I, may yeah, I say share, so it is? Yeah, I, it, it, it's on my brochure because I want people to have something to strive for if they're coming into therapy. A healthy person needs to be able to see and hear what is here now instead of what should be, what was, or what will be. Healthy person needs to feel what you feel instead of what you think you ought to be feeling. A healthy person needs to say what you feel and think instead of what you imagine is expected of you. A healthy person needs to ask for what you want instead of hoping it will be offered. And lastly, a healthy person needs to take risks in their own behalf instead of waiting or settling for the status quo. And that's sort of what we're all striving for, a well-balanced, healthy life where we can feel what we feel, say what we feel, and get what we want. Well, it's living in reality, not the, is the unicorn that yes. you were mentioning earlier. Uh -huh. So how do you work with what is? How do you avoid the saying what you think is expected of you? Together, to How does partner. an individual do that? By, by resolving that that's what they're going to do. And I think an important part of communication skills that's often left out is self-communication. You know, I'm can not, you say more on that? Yeah, I'm not. You know, I can bullcrap you, and I can bullcrap the world, but I have to start with not bullcrapping myself. What do I really want? What I really want is to have sex with everybody I can lay hands on. Oh well, okay. Can I do that? Probably not, and maintain my relationship. Okay, but at least I acknowledge that that's really what I would like to do. So I smile at my own concupiscence and then say, okay, so what am I going to do about that? Well, what I could do is make my relationship with my partner a little more satisfying so that I'm not lusting after everybody in the world. So that then we start with, okay, now I know what's wrong with and what I want. Now, how can I get my partner to hear me when I tell him or her that some things need to be changed between us? So would you tell your partner that, oh, I want to fuck? I want to fuck everybody that I see. Or do you do you, you, might. Do you censor it a little bit? <laughs> well, it depends on who your partner is and what he or she's willing to hear. I mean, you would hope that you would know your partner enough to know that if you say that and they have apoplexy, that probably wasn't the best way to approach the fact. You might say, you know, I've been thinking about how we might add a little bit of excitement to our sex life. That's a whole lot different than saying, you know, I was thinking about getting it on with your cousin. What do you think about that? Your cousin, your, mo your mother. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, we, we teach people that it can be really liberating to speak your desires, and you don't need to act on your desires, but Absolutely. to actually express them and to get them out there. Can the first be... step is to acknowledge them to yourself. Then the step is to express them to somebody else. Most people don't even acknowledge, you know, sex, lust, who, me, what, and that's behind all these scandals of all these religious folk who get caught with their hand in somebody else's pants. They're so out of touch with their own desires that quite literally the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. Yeah, I mean, we are, we're, we might be good at lying to other people, but we're much better at lying to oh, ourselves. Oh, absolutely, yes, that's ex well put. So what do you think happens when the person learns how to stop, how to even be conscious of the lies? I think they become the first step towards enlightened, that this is who I am, yeah. yeah, and then they get to accept who they are, and boy, does that take a load off most people's shoulders. You know, I am who I am. I am what I am. It's why people 
why so many people in their later years are much better in bed than young people because they know who they are, they know their limitations, they know their desires, and they can accept them. And they are learning how to feel, not perform. Exactly. Yeah. So if you had some advice for our listeners that maybe wanted to move towards being a little more authentic with their desires, what advice would you give them? First of all, have some way of communicating with yourself. You know, whether you keep a journal, whether you meditate, whether you, um, whatever it is, really find a way to listen to what's going on inside yourself and acknowledge it. Therapy might help. Uh, group dynamics, like One Taste offers, might help. But some way to get in touch with who are you and what do you want. Um, and that might be going on the internet and looking for some support, doing some research into other people. But that's the first step, is really finding a way to hear yourself, sense what's going on with you, and then um, accepting it. Great. Isadora, you, you do a, a lot of work, and you're, you're definitely one of the champions of a liberated sexuality. What do you see yourself working towards? Do you have a vision of sex in 2050, let's say? You know what I'd like to see, Shane? I'd like to see th that the alternatives to heterosexual monogamy be just as acknowledged as predilections for blondes or brunettes. You know, do you, oh, you like blondes, really? Yeah, I sort of had a thing for I redheads. Like yes, brunettes. yeah, okay. But see, people accept that. There's no gasp or opprobrium attached with that. So I would like to see, you know, this is my wife and this is my husband. Oh, I'm glad to meet both of you. Or, you know, or I would like to see uh, these are my spouses. The five of us live communally. Or uh, I am asexual and I have never coupled. I'm perfectly happy with that. And to have all these alternatives be perfectly okay and have no shame attached to them. How do we get there? Oh, I don't know. But you're trying and I'm trying. <laughs> we'll just keep doing what we're yes. doing. Yes. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much, Isadora, for joining us on the show today. My pleasure. All right. Well, um, you can visit. Do you want to mention sure. your websites? Um, you can reach me at www.askisadora.com. That's my online sexuality forum. You can jump right in and ask questions and make comments and so forth. Uh, you can email me to have a question answered in my syndicated column, and that's askisadora.com. And if you're over 40, you might check into the website for which I write, tbd.com. Great. And to hear this and other great podcasts, log on to personallifemedia.com and please visit us at onetaste.us. Thanks so much. Find more great shows like this on personallifemedia.com.